what we're, we're looking at uh, today is what does a church that goes all in look like? What does it look like for a church to go all in? Okay, and if you're not yet a Christian and you're on this journey of faith, and you know you might think, "Well, that's a little strange," and you you can just sit back and relax. Okay, today, Uh, um, but hopefully this will help you understand really what a church is all about. And um, this is not a a shift of gear from where we've just been. This is the church of Jesus, and we've just been worshiping Him. And what does his church really look like? And to answer that question, what I want to do is I want to go to the early church and to look at some some bits from Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 3, and Acts chapter 4. Then I want to tell you some stories uh, from other churches around the world that I've been visiting and speaking to and relating to over the last few weeks. Not just those in America, but others as well. Uh, And then I want to talk to you a little bit about this church, okay? Our church, this church here. Uh, And then I'm going to throw out five big ideas this morning, okay? And at the end, I'm going to invite us to go all in. Okay? So that's a roadmap for where we're going this morning. We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, 3, 4. going to tell you some stories from different churches. going to give you some of my observations and questions about us. And then I'm going to invite you at the end to consider going all in. Okay? That's where we're going. But before we do that, let's take a look at the screens. Lately, it seems that we're getting more and more confused about what a church actually is. So let's take some time to set the record straight. Church is not a building, though a building can be used by a church. Church is not a denomination, though a set of beliefs should be important to a church. Church is not about Sunday, though a church should not forsake meeting together. Church is not about one person or personality, though every church should be pastored. And church is not about size or growth, though every church is called to make disciples. So don't think of church as an address or a location, but rather think of church as mobile and on the move. Don't think of church as something built or planted, but rather think of church as something deployed. Don't think of church as where you are for an hour each week, but rather what you are every day of the week, because the church is the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Feet shouldn't sit still. Hands shouldn't be idle. Feet go hands do. This is the church. Church isn't what you're sitting through right now because you are the church. Now go and be the church. Great. But don't go yet. Okay, just wait for a little bit longer and then you can go. That's brilliant. I really love that because what that does is it takes two different ideas which seem a little bit counter. Do you know what I mean? And Because there's a lot of talk these days about the church being either this or this. And what I love about that is it's not either this or this, it's both. So it is about what we do when we gather together, but it's about what we do when we go. It's not either or, it's both and. And that's what I want us to look at this morning. And I want to throw you five ideas about what a church that goes all in looks like. And the first idea is this, that a church that goes all in has a strong and a healthy culture. It has a healthy culture. Let's look in Acts chapter 2. This is a, we've been using these verses for years, ever since I've been here certainly, and maybe even before, as a snapshot about what the early church looked like. But it's a snapshot view, okay? And it's in Acts 2, 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. 
Every day they continue to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. You see them meeting in the big space and in the small space. And they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That's amazing, isn't it? How many of you want to be in a church like that? That's phenomenal. That's a snapshot about what characterized the early church. And you can read it, and I'm going to encourage you to read it when you're in your life groups this week, and to talk about these ideas. And in that snapshot, you see devotion, you see community, you see prayer, you see awe and wonder, you see miracles, you see unity, generosity, love and care and worship uh, and thanksgiving. You see sincerity of heart, you see favor, and you see growth. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. All of those things, they just happen, right? They just happen. You just turn up, you just build it, and it will come. That's right, isn't it? They just all happen. Wrong. They don't just all happen. That only happens when two things are at play, when the dynamic of the Holy Spirit is there, which we looked at last week, and when there's a healthy culture. And I want us to look at that. You see, what do we mean by culture? Every group of people have a culture. And when I say culture, I'm not primarily saying about ethnicity, okay, where you come from, like the British culture or whatever country you might come from, although that's part of it, because the reality is that every group of British people have a British culture, but they have another culture as well. Every family has a culture. Every business has a culture. Your business has a culture, doesn't it? The place where you work has a culture. Every church has a culture. And trying to understand culture is really difficult. How do you define what we mean by culture? Here's one definition that I heard. I'm not sure how you'll react to this. Someone said this. It's a bit like pornography. Hard to define, but you know it when you see it. And I think actually there's some truth in that. It is really hard to define what we mean by culture. It's personality of a group. It's values, it's practices, it's beliefs, it's behaviors, it's assumptions, it's the way things are done. You all know what I'm talking about, don't you? In certain families, there are certain cultural traits. That's just the way it happens in our family. Anyone ever said that? Oh no, our family doesn't do that. And you'll know in your business, oh, that's just the way things are. That's what we mean by culture. And you can have a healthy culture or you can have an unhealthy culture. But you see, culture will always trump vision and strategy. So in your business, and I want to speak into different areas, in your business, in, your, in, in this church, we can have a great vision and you can have a great vision in your business and you can have a great strategy in your business. We can have a great vision in our church and we have and we can have a great strategy and we have. But culture will always trump vision and strategy because you can have a really hot vision and a really effective strategy. But if your culture is unhealthy, nothing good will happen. Nothing good will happen. Now, a healthy culture is hot. And by hot, I mean honest, open, and transparent. It's hot. It's honest, open, and transparent. A healthy culture will bring out the best in people and inspire them to reach and to grow. But you've got to remember the first church, the early church, wasn't always like you read it in those first few verses of Acts. Some people often say to me, and they've said it over the years that I've been a pastor of this church, they've said, oh, I wish our church was more like the early church. And I say, really? Which bit of the early church would you like us to be like? The bit where there was division, the bit where there was immorality, the bit where those two guys were struck dead because they withheld money that they said they'd given. Which bit of that do you want? And at which point they say, oh, not that bit. <laughs> because the reality is that that culture that we read about in Acts 2 drifted. 
Because people are people. And wherever people are, are, we will drift into unhealthy culture. And if you ever think, oh, I was in that church, and some of you have come from other churches, and some of you have been in this church, and some of you are new to church, and you think, uh, you know, there's something, you know, oh, that person upset me, or this thing happened, and, and you want to walk away from it. Listen, you will walk away forever if you think like that. Because you'll find another place, and it will seem perfect to you. And then you'll join. Okay? And then after a while, after a while, something happens that isn't perfect, and you'll walk away again. The reality is we have to understand culture is there where we are. And an unhealthy culture comes because we allow it. We get the culture that we allow. That's the culture we get. We get the culture that we create and we also get the culture that we allow. An unhealthy culture is toxic. It's like carbon monoxide. You don't see it or smell it, but you wake up dead. An unhealthy culture in anything is toxic. And the problem for many churches is not wrong strategy or irrelevant style, but unhealthy culture. How is a healthy culture created? By people taking responsibility for it. There are three key words in the, in the Bible that, that I read out to you from Acts 2, 42 to 47. And the three key words are the first three words I read. They devoted themselves. Can you hear that? They devoted themselves. Nobody made them do it. They took responsibility and entered in to creating a healthy, life-giving, world-changing, radical culture. They devoted themselves. And I think when in my trip to the States uh, a few weeks ago, one of the things that I really impacted me of the six churches that I went to, and they were all really different, doing things really differently, but there were some consistent themes. One of the consistent themes was each of the church had a very strong, and what I could tell, healthy culture. Now, it doesn't mean they were perfect, and there weren't other things there, because I was only a, a brief visitor, but there was such a strong, healthy culture. And the way that I could gauge that was that I was very passionate about not talking to the people that were on the stage, but talking to the normal people, you know, the everyday people. And so the, the volunteers and the hosters and, and people that I sat next to. And wherever I went and I spoke to people in the churches, it was amazing just what God had done in their lives and, and how they were reflecting what was happening from the stage and the values of the church. It was incredible. Uh, and wherever I spoke to, there was, such a, there was such a sense of openness as well. And I know some of that is American culture. I understand that. But it was so breathtaking to me. In fact, one instance, I was, I was with this uh, staff member at this church called Mariner's Church. Churches of 13,000 people. And uh, we'd been to the service, and it was an amazing service. And, we'd been, and we were looking around the campus, which was like Disneyland. Or it was ridiculous. Uh, and we were, you know, in a good way. Uh, not Mickey Mouse and all that, but it was, it was good. Uh, and as we were walking around, we walked into this room where th th these guys were setting up for a marriage event, okay? Like the marriage event that we did yesterday. And the staff member introduced me to this guy called Eric, who's now one of the staff guys. And Eric, and Eric just said to me, oh, where are you from? Um, and I said, I'm from England. And then he said, in 1600 and so and so, and this is what he just, just started saying, in 1600 and so and so, one of my ancestors fell out with the vicar in a church and they left the church and they vowed they would never set foot in a church again. He said, 400 years later, I am the first person in my family to ever set foot in a church. And then he began to tell me about his divorces, his addiction with alcohol, his debt, and how God had set him free from all those three things and how he's led a marriage ministry in church, he's led a debt recovery ministry in church, and he's now leading an alcohol ministry in church. And he he said all of that stuff and I just met him in the hallway <laughs> and he just poured all that stuff out and then he said it's really good to meet you and I said great to meet you as well and just like walked up you know but what I loved about that was the culture 
There's, I'm so full of what God has done that I want to give my life back to him. And I want to tell you about it who I've just met. And I know some of that's to do with American culture maybe or personalities being more extrovert. I get all of that. But there's something really inspiring about a culture that is honest and open. And that's amazing. What about us folks? Do we take responsibility for the culture of this church? Because it's really easy to say, oh, the church is this and the church is that. Well, the church is whatever you and I make it, isn't it? So if we want it to be more welcoming, are we going to take responsibility to be more welcoming? Oh, but I'm not an extrovert. No, maybe you're not. But we can still be more welcoming. we just got to find ways to do it. If we want the church to be more passionate, are we taking responsibility to be more passionate? We want the church to be more giving and more generous. Are we taking responsibility to be more giving and to be more generous? A church that goes all in has a healthy culture. Number two, church that goes all in also has a resolute discipline. Oh, there's that word that we love. Look in Acts chapter 3. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. This is really interesting to me because under the Jewish law, under the Jewish system of, of faith, Judaism, the Jewish day begins at 6 a.m. and ends at 6 p.m. And the Jews had three special hours for prayer, 9, 12, and 3. And they felt that their prayers were more precious if they prayed them in the temple. So here's these two guys who've been filled with the Spirit and are following Jesus, but they haven't abandoned some of their discipline from before, which is really interesting. So in other words, they've, they've got this new faith, this new charismatic Pentecostal expression of faith, but they haven't abandoned the discipline of before, which is really interesting. And I wonder if we need to be a church that as well as coming into the new things that God is doing doesn't abandon the disciplines that God says are still really, really important. You know, some things like devotions and time with God. That is so, so important. A church that goes all in doesn't just have great celebrations. A church that goes all in is a disciplined church where every single person takes responsibility for those things. Time with God, reading the Bible, prayer, solitude, retreat. Some of these are ancient disciplines, but they are so life-giving. Things like giving financially and consistently and in a thought through sacrificial way. Can I say, one of, in fact, the biggest indicator of your spiritual health is your attitude to money. It's the biggest one. It's why Jesus spoke more about money than he spoke about heaven, hell or prayer. He spoke more about money and possessions than he spoke about heaven, hell or prayer. Because it will say what your culture really is. It will say what you really value and who you really value and where your trust really is. And for me, ever since I've been earning money, for me, it's been tithing as a way of starting, giving 10% of my income back to God through the local church that I'm a part of, whether it's this one or others, another that I've been a part of. And that's the start for me. That's the start. But I want to be open to all the rest of the money that God has given me and the resources to make that open and available to him as well. And I need to grow in that area. But that's so, so important. And I know Paul Reed, a friend of ours, you know, he says, whenever he talks about giving, he said it here as well. And he'll talk about it and then he'll say, that really hurts, doesn't it? And then he says, well, so does an endoscopy, but it can save your life. You know, and some of this stuff that can make, oh, ouch, you know, that's a bit painful. But actually, it's really true. Spiritually, it's the biggest indicator of your spiritual connection and your spiritual health. Gathering together corporately and in small groups is so important. And the Greek philosopher Aristotle said, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. 
We are what we repeatedly do. Not what we do once in a while, but what we repeatedly do. And if we want to be excellent in life, we have to develop some disciplines that are habits in our life. Okay, number three, an open-handed generosity. As these guys in Acts 3 went up to the temple, the Bible says in the next verse, they met a man who was lame from birth. And, uh, and the man looked up at them and he, uh, and he wanted money. And um, uh, P- Peter looked straight at him, it says in, in verse 4, uh, um, where am I? As did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk, taking him by the right hand. He held him up and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Brilliant story, isn't it? And it's like this man is asking for money and they didn't have money, but they were generous with what they had. Generosity isn't about how much you have. It's what you do with what you have. Hello. It really is. And you see, they gave uh, they gave what they would got, not what they hadn't got. If they'd given what they were asked for, the man would never have received what he actually needed. And sometimes as Christians, we feel empty, don't we? And we feel like we haven't got enough, you know. And so we're asked for things and we think, well, I haven't got it. But actually what you've got is incredibly powerful. And if we'll give what we've got in an open-handed, generous way, that's unbelievable. And, And for me, when I look at the early church, I look at a church that went all in. And they were open-handed with everything they had. They were always looking to see people that they could bless. Whether that was financially, whether that was spiritually, whether that was relationally, they were always looking to give. And so it says in Acts chapter 4 that the church gave of their stuff so that each person in the church, nobody went without need. Because they all gave. It says of Barnabas, he sold a field he owned and laid the money at the feet of the leaders. I'm open to that. Okay, okay, just let me tell you, I'm open to recreating that, okay? So if any of you want to sell a field or whatever you own, um, and I think, you know, whether it's a field or a fiver, if we're open-handed and generous with it and want to give it to the cause of God, God will do amazing things. And we've got some incredibly generous people here in this church. Now, these last few years, we've seen that. Over these last six years, we've raised nearly two million pounds through two different capital campaigns to go into the building and into the vision, into the future. It's incredible. In a church our size, can I tell you, it's breathtaking. And my friend Paul, as you know, Paul and Priscilla Reed, they travel all around the world. They know all of the big churches. And they often say to me, what God has done in your church through this over the last six years is a miracle. Because they know that for a church of our size to be able to dig that deep is incredibly generous. And I want to thank you all for those of you that have been a part of that. And whether it was a fiver or whether it was a field that you sold, open-handed generosity is incredibly important. One of the churches that I went to in Dallas, Texas was Gateway Church, which is where Carrie Job is the worship leader. You'll have heard of her. And, and I went along to the church. I didn't actually see a service. I just went on one of the days that I was there. And I'd connected with a staff member and he um, offered to, to meet me and to take me around. So we met at a restaurant and I wanted to pay, but he insisted on paying. So, okay, I let him. <laughs> I did insist, but he insisted stronger. And he gave me lunch and then he gave me three hours looking around the building. And, and then he took me to a bookshop and he said, hey, let me give you some stuff and gave me $150 worth of resources. And when I said to him, what do you do on staff? I said, first I said, how many staff do you have? He said, 800. I said, sorry? He said, yeah, we have 800 staff. There's a church of 30,000. They have 8,000 volunteers and 800 staff. What blew me away, though, I said, what's your role on staff? He said, to do this. I said, what? He said, my role on staff, and there are several of us, we're paid by the church to resource and bless other churches. That's amazing, isn't it? 
Now, yes, they've got a lot of money, but right from the start of when that church was born, it was birthed in a spirit of generosity. They said, however God blesses us, we want to bless back to the body of Christ. That's amazing. I thought, what a brilliant job. <laughs> you know, just taking that people for lunch and showing them around. But it's just, and he said, anything we can ever do for you guys, please say. It's amazing, isn't it? What an incredible, generous church. And then this last week, some of us have been to our Elim uh, Leaders Conference. And, and there they were speaking, a guy called Alan Scott from Causeway Coast Vineyard Church in Northern Ireland. Some of you will have heard that. And actually, some of us are going over to spend 24 hours in this church. It's a church of about 1,500 now. Not in a city, but in a town uh, in the northern part of, of Northern Ireland. And it's, he says it himself, it's kind of a backwater place. I know the place very well. I have a lot of friends that are in that church. And what was impressive to me was about the open-handed generosity of that church. And over the last few years, they have seen God do amazing things, not so much in the building, but outside of the building. They've seen hundreds of people healed and come to faith out on the streets. And he told a story of one of their interns, a young girl from Brazil. And he said she's in a supermarket and she's, all this stuff's been you know, on, on the thing and, and the lady's scanning the stuff. And, and as she's standing there, she feels that Jesus tells her something for the cashier and so she shares it with her and the girl just looks at her and starts to get upset and this intern girl in her early 20s says could I pray for you oh she said do, do you know Jesus and she says no I don't know Jesus and she said would you like to know Jesus she says, yeah I would could I pray for you and so she prays for her and the girl is so upset and emotional that she can't carry on the transaction so she calls for another cashier to come and take over from her and when that other girl comes and carries on the transaction, the other girl's over here, this Brazilian girl said, I think I've got something for you. And she shared something with her. And at the end of it, she said, do you know Jesus? And this girl said, well, no, I don't know Jesus. And she said, would you like to know Jesus? And she said, well, I think I would. Could I pray for you right now? And she prays for her and leads her to Christ. And she gets so upset that she can't carry on the transaction. So she calls for another cashier. And the other cashier comes. And you can guess what's happening. The same thing happens again. And she leads three of the cashiers to Christ in that supermarket. And when we heard that and other, hundreds of other stories, we thought something stirred inside our heart. Do you know what I mean? What an incredible culture in a church. And wouldn't it be amazing if we were so open-handed and generous that actually wherever we led, wherever we were led to be, we were open to being used by God. To not just to give money, but maybe to give something more important. Not just what we're asked for sometimes, but what actually people need, which is Jesus. I thought that was absolutely incredible. And you know, in this church, we're seeing a growth in that as well. You know, what we did, what we're doing on the Highfields Estate is incredible, you know. And a, a, a Good Friday when we went over there and we're helping people practically. And as a result of that, we're now running an Alpha course in the Highfield Estate, in the Hope Centre. It's very small, but there's a handful of people that are coming every week to hear about Jesus. That's being open-handed and generous. Number four, I've got to crack on because of time. There's an eager expectation in a church that goes all in. You can see it in, in, in the book of Acts. You see a church that expects God to move and expects the miraculous. You see, I think what we do is sometimes we confuse the minimum with the extraordinary. Do you know what I mean by that? In other words, we look at the first church and we say, oh, that's all extraordinary. Whereas actually for the first church, it was all normal. And we confuse the minimum with the extraordinary. The early church did what they did because God inspired them. They had such a healthy culture. They were, they were disciplined and they were open-handed and generous. 
And then as they reached out and as they moved out into community and out into society, God did amazing things. You see, the life of the church is the heart of God, and the heart of God is to serve a broken world. The life of the church is the heart of God, and the heart of God is to serve a broken world. One of the churches I've mentioned quite a bit that I went to in, in Los Angeles was the Dream Center, and it's just amazing. This church that had bought a hospital. Uh, literally so they could fill it with hundreds and hundreds of people who were in need. And out of that place can go and, and, and visit the homeless and the poor. And I haven't got time to tell you all about the incredible things that they were doing. But their strap line is simple. Find a need and meet it. Find a hurt and heal it. And being alongside them and seeing it happen day in, day out was breathtaking to me. And I thought, wow, God, what you can do when we, when we are so committed and we have a radical and eager expectation that you will move. And when we step out of our comfort zone. You see, we are to be a refuge for the world, not a refuge from it. See, so many times as Christians, because it is tough out there, we think church, especially if you've been brought up in church, you think church is a place to escape from the world. It's a refuge from the world. And I get that. But actually, we're meant to be a refuge for the world, not from it. Unfortunately, for too many Christians, when the conversation is no longer about them, there's not much left to say. You notice that? So many Christians and churches turn inward looking and their expectation is only for them rather than a lost and a broken world. You know, I've had a bit of a revelation recently. You know, I, th I thought to myself, why is it that people leave a church? And there's lots of reasons why people leave a church. You know, people leave this church. Uh, and often one of the reasons that people leave this church is that they'll say to me, oh, I'm just not getting fed enough. I need to go to somewhere where I can go deeper and get fed more. And then the revelation I've had is this. Some of the best Bible teachers, the brilliant communicators, the most amazing teachers that you and I listen to on podcasts and on Christian TV, people leave their church every single week too. And there are lots of reasons. But one of the reasons that they quote that they leave is because they're not getting fed. You see, there's something about us that wants to get incredibly fat. Where actually, actually, what God wants us to do is to get incredibly fit. And you don't get fit by just listening. You get fit by doing. And if only we did something with what we already know, maybe we'd see revival. Maybe we'd see revival. If, I, if we didn't just stop eating stuff and digesting and taking in spiritual stuff, but maybe if we did something with all of that food that we've already got, maybe we wouldn't be fat any longer. We'd get fit. And maybe God could change the world. And I don't care if people leave this church anymore. Do you know what I mean? If, if they want to go get fed because they, they're not fat enough here, go knock yourself out, get fat. But this church is going to be about a church that reaches lost people. And we're going to be a church that sees the glory of God come in this time. And that means, and that means every single one of us have got to go all in. We've got to go all in. There's got to be an eager expectation that God will do something when we push ourselves out. You know, so much of our angst is about style rather than the real issue, which is self. It's not about style, it's about self. Am I willing to die to myself? For some of us, maintaining the status quo is more important. I don't mean the band will, getting excited. For some of us, maintaining the status quo is more important than changing the world. One of the churches that I went to is a church called Mosaic. Uh, pastor by Irving McManus is such a cool guy. He's in his 50s. He's got his own clothing company. He's so incredibly cool. Okay, uh, But, but his, his passion is to reach Hollywood. And his church is in Hollywood. And uh, there's about 3,000 of them there. And the average age is 27. 
And when you go to the church and uh, you ask people, like, what do you do for a living? They're all in Hollywood. They're like, I'm an actor. Actually, I'm a waitress at the moment, she said, but I want to be an actor. There was a lot of that. You know, or I'm going to be a movie director. All this, And it's all very, very cool. Me and Matt Gregory, 49, both of us, in our chinos and whatever. You know, we, we have Farrah's. You know, we blended in completely. Not. All these hipster guys. But what was brilliant was so many of these young guys. And I said, so when did you come to faith? Oh, just a few months ago. Where? Here. I came to Hollywood on a dream and I met Jesus here. And I love that. Incredible expectation. He says, when the church becomes a movement, not a monastery, she becomes a place of transformation. When the church becomes a movement, not a monastery, she becomes a place of transformation. Maybe, folks, maybe the next great move of God... Maybe it won't be a move in the church, but maybe it'll be a move of the church. That's what this guy Alan Scott said. I thought that's so true. And yeah, we want to see God move in the church, but we want to see a move of the church. And we'll never see our place changed. We'll never see our environment changed. If God only moves in the church, God has to move the church. There has to be a move of the church. Maybe could our goal be not to become the best church in our town, but to become the best church for our town? Hello? Maybe we don't want to be the best church in the town. I don't want to be the best church in the town. I want to be a great church for our town and for our community. And, um, you know, I think maybe that means that we've got to kind of partner with our community a little bit more. You know, at the moment, we're having so many requests from the community to get involved in things. And so on July the 3rd, we're going to stop our services in the morning so that we can facilitate the Black Country Fun Run. Okay, now that's a big cost to us financially and in every way. It's a big cost. But it's such a big event in the community that we, we've started to do it last year. We're doing it this year as well. And what they're asking is, say, look, you guys are amazing. Could you stop your services? You help it to happen. But could you supply some marshals to help the whole event run? And last year, we supplied all the marshals for the event, 40 people. And that's just a way of us with no agenda other than saying, we want to bless you. We want to bless you. So I want to say, could we be a church that doesn't just say, God, move in the church. but say, God, could, could there be a move of the church? And that might look like, not incredibly exciting, it might look like we just volunteer to help our community. Who knows what God could do from that. So, there is a sign-up sheet at the back. Amazingly how I did that. Did you see that? There's a sign-up sheet at the back. If you can help volunteer to be a marshal on that morning, and all of you, if you've got a pulse, then you can do it. You know, <clears throat> so all of us can do it. It'd be great to sign up and be a part of that. Excuse me. Okay, so final thing. I need some water. Are you with me? All right, this has gone longer than I expected. Okay, number five. Uh, A church that goes all in is a magnet and a threat. It's a magnet and a threat. In Acts chapter 2, thousands came and God added the number daily, those who were being saved. In Acts chapter 3, in that miracle, the whole place was filled with awe and wonder. (coughs) In Acts chapter 4, they get brought before the religious leaders who command them to stop or else. They chose else. You see, when we are a church that goes all in, we will be a magnet for some and a threat to others. We will attract and we will repel in equal measures, maybe. (coughs) So what stops us going all in as we come towards a close? I think one of the things that stops us going all in is experiences. How many of you have ever had a bad experience in a church? Of course you have. Loads of you have. Some of you said, yeah, in this one. Some of you are saying, right now I'm having a bad experience in a church. (laughs) Lewis and Clark led a famous expedition in the start of the 1800s in America. 
And uh, it's very, I want to the whole story, but what they did is they, that they believed that the Missouri River in the States, that actually if you followed it north, it went into Canada. And if it went into Canada, they could claim some of that land in, that, in the newly established territories. <clears throat> so they went on this expedition to look for what they hoped would be, uh, you know, where they wanted it to be. But when they got there, they were disappointed. It wasn't where they went. They couldn't claim any more land. And they called that camp, Camp Disappointment. And I wonder how many of us have camped at Camp Disappointment in our Christian lives. How many of us have come to a place of disappointment where we put down our roots and we put down our tent and we said, I ain't moving any further. And maybe you had bad experiences in the past. Maybe you've had experiences in your life that have caused you to put down your roots in camp disappointment. I want to encourage you, move on. Move on. Get that tent up again. Move out of camp disappointment to where God wants you to be. We've all had bad experiences. Maybe fear. If I go all in, what will happen? If I go all in, what will it cost? Is it your money or your life? Yes. Absolutely. All of it. <laughs> Maybe apathy. Am I bothered? Maybe self. You know, our obsession with the Holy Trinity, me, myself and I. You know, is it obsession with self? Is it apathy? These are the things that stop us. But you know what causes us to go in? A total surrender. Listen to this. The one call is to lay your life at the feet of Jesus and to do whatever he asks. The one call is to lay your life at the feet of Jesus and to do whatever he asks. A total surrender, but also a life-changing encounter. It was at the burning bush that Moses went all in, wasn't it? You know, it was on the road to Damascus that Paul went all in. The guy that started the Dream Center was 21 years of age when he arrived in downtown LA and had a life-changing encounter on the streets there. You know, and God gave him this, this, this vision for the Dream Center. For me, in the year 2000, I can take you to the seat where I was in a church in Chicago where God gave me an incredible, incredible revelation of what the, of what the church could look like. And I said, God, that's what I want to go all in for. To bring honor and glory to your name by trying to do all that I can, everything I'm able to see God. Could the church be built that looks like that? So, going all in. I want to ask the band to come back. You know, it's great that tomorrow we've got our membership course and there's several of you are on that. It'd be great to see you there. If you haven't been, you know, you can come tomorrow. That's a way of taking some of this stuff a little bit further, a little bit deeper and what it goes all in. But I want to ask you just to stand with me for a moment. Could you just stand for a moment? And I want to ask you, just right now, maybe Ben, if you could just start to play. I want to ask you just to, just to pause for a moment. I know I've given you a lot this morning, but, but just to say, God, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for me? They devoted themselves. In other words, it didn't happen to them. They instigated. They said, God, I want to go all in. Someone said to me this morning, you know, yeah, we've decided, you know, it's taken us a while, but we're, we're going to commit. We're going we're gonna to kind of go all in. And that's brilliant. Because the more of us that go all in to what God, and I don't know what exactly that means. The more of us that do that, the more creative and the more powerful the life will be of, in this church. And could the next great move of God not be in this church, but could it be a move of this church? Could it be that we move out of this place and out beyond these walls and out into where you work and into where you are and see God do something amazing? Who's up for that? Who's up for that? So I want to pray and I want to invite you, maybe even where you are, just almost kind of say, God, I'm stepping in. I want to go all in.
And I don't know what you want to do with that, but just something in your heart says, God, I want to move all in. Father, I want to pray. God, we want to pray, Lord, that you would so impact us by your Spirit that we would step out of our camp disappointments, that we would step out of our moments of fear and apathy and self-interest, and we'd move all into what you want for us. And God, I pray that there would be stories after stories after stories of this church seeing people come to faith out there, of this church seeing people being healed, of this church seeing people being served and, and helped and resourced and lifted up and encouraged. And Father, we pray for a great move of your Spirit. God, it can't happen without your spirit. It can only happen with your spirit. But it also happens when we're a church that goes all in. So Lord, we pray. Here we are, God. We're all in for what you want to do. And God, now as we worship you, God, as we finish, as as we get to this bit in this song where we say, heal our hearts, make it yours, break our heart for what breaks yours. God, I pray that you would do something and deposit something here in our lives today, in these moments. In Jesus' name, amen.